Okay, church, preschoolers, if you're going to the preschool class, you are dismissed. And everyone else, I'd encourage you to open up to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And as you're turning there, show of hands, how many of you have had your, your tonsils removed? Who here has tonsils removed? Okay, all right. How many of you, 40 or younger, have had tonsils removed? Show of hands. Okay, all right, a couple, all right. Now, over 40, you've had tonsils removed? If, you, if you're over 40 and you've had your tonsils removed? Okay, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Uh, you see, having your tonsils removed uh, was much more popular back in the day than it is now. Uh, in fact, in the 1930s, over half of all children had had their tonsils removed. Um, now, that's partly, I think, for a couple different reasons. One is when medical people figure out how to do a procedure or how to do something, I think they get, we get a little trigger happy with it. Uh, you know, it's, it's well, you, you could just tell them to get fluids and rest and your throat will get better. Or, you know, we just learned this new procedure. We could get in there and just see what happens, right? Uh, but that's, that's not necessarily the reason, also the only reason. Also popular back in the day, it was, it was popular because physicians and, and some physicians had fallen into the wrong teaching of Charles Darwin and evolution, and they'd adopted this wrong thinking that there were parts of our body that were useful to us in the past, um, like the tonsils and the appendix. Uh, but now that we've evolved, uh, they don't really have a purpose, so it's no big deal just to remove them. But what modern medicine is now discovering is that even the tonsils and even the appendix and other organs that we wrongly believed were useless were discovering that they actually all have very significant parts to play in the body. They all have significant parts to play in our immune system and lymphatic system and that each part of the body, even if we don't fully understand yet how it works, likely has a very significant purpose. It's almost as if we were fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, I share that with you not to make any of you feel bad if you've had your tonsils removed. Sometimes it still is necessary to get your tonsils removed. And as a disclaimer, I am not giving you medical advice right now, okay? Please consult your primary care provider to get uh, uh, advice on your tonsils. But my point in sharing that with you is because when the Apostle Paul describes the church, he frequently speaks of us as the body of Christ. And that each of us are like parts of the body that are supposed to be all working together with Christ as our head. But you see, I'm concerned that some of us wrongly think that we are the useless tonsils in the body of Christ. I'm concerned that some of us, we see everyone else around us doing these great things for the Lord, and we feel like we're the appendix of the body of Christ. And so let me tell you something, tonsils and appendix. Every member, every part of the body of Christ is significant and needed to carry out the plans that God has for his world and his people. And if there are no useless parts of our bodies, how much more so are there no useless parts of the body of Christ? Last week in our study of Romans, we were commanded to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, but to think with sober judgment about ourselves. But listen, church, having sober judgment about yourself not only includes having a humble view of yourself, 
but it also includes you seeing that you are a significant part of the body of Christ. And what we will learn today is that every follower of Christ has been given spiritual gifts to help them function and carry out the part that they are to play in the body of Christ. And we're going to talk about some of those gifts this morning. God has graciously given us gifts that are empowered by his spirit for the building up of the body in love. And therefore, we are commanded today by God's word to use those gifts. Even if you are the tonsils or the appendix of the body of Christ, God has a purpose designed for you. And he has given you gifts that you must use for his glory and the building up of the body of Christ. And so this morning, we'll first address what are spiritual gifts. That's what we're going to touch on first this morning. What are spiritual gifts? That might be a new phrase for some of you. Uh, that might be a phrase where you've, you've learned about in other churches, and, and there are some differing views amongst Christians as, uh, as to how we should view the spiritual gifts. And so we're going to try to get on the same page and lay the foundation first of just what are spiritual gifts. Then we'll go through the list that Paul includes here to the Romans. Uh, in Romans 12, we'll touch briefly on these seven gifts. This is not an exhaustive list, uh, but he, here he includes seven, and we'll talk about what they are and what they look like in action. And then finally, we'll talk about how we discover what gifts we have and how we are to use them. So that's where we're going. What are spiritual gifts? Go through the seven gifts and then talk about how we discover them, how we use them. Let's first, though, let's pray. Let's ask for the Lord's help in this. Oh, Father, we do thank you that you are a generous Father who has given good gifts to his people. May we understand them rightly. May you help us discern what gifts you've given to each of us. And may we know better how to use them for your glory and the building up of your body. So we ask for your help. Give light, O oh Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, look with me at Romans 12, verse uh, 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Well, first let's start with what are these gifts that have been given to us? What are spiritual gifts? If you're taking notes and you want to go do some more Bible study on your own, the places to read about spiritual gifts can be found here in Romans 12 that we're going to cover this morning, as well as 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. Those would be the places to start. And I want to help us get to a definition and a well-rounded view of spiritual gifts by understanding how God in his word explains these gifts to us. So first, these gifts are given to us according to God's sovereign grace. These gifts are given to us according to God's sovereign grace. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, which we'll have up on the screen, says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. These are gifts that God in his sovereignty chooses to give as he wills. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 then goes on to say, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. 
as he chose. The giving of spiritual gifts by God is not a white elephant gift exchange. (laughs) You learn a lot of just bad things about life by doing that, right? No, God chooses to give different gifts to specific people as he wills and as he chooses. You don't get to look at the gift your neighbor got and say that you want that instead and swap. No, God has chosen who to give which gifts to, and he has a specific and very significant purposes for each of us according to his sovereign grace. God chooses which gifts he gives to each person, but all the gifts he gives are gracious gifts. You look back at Romans 12, 6. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. All these gifts we've been given are all God's grace, his undeserved favor. We don't deserve any of these gifts. But God has given them nonetheless. These gifts are given to us according to God's sovereign grace. Second, these gifts are described in God's word as spiritual. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. These gifts are spiritual in nature, which means that they are not the same as natural abilities or acquired skills. We are to use our natural abilities and acquired skills for the glory of God and the building up of the body as well, but those aren't the same as spiritual gifts. And so you might be a good speaker. You might be a great musician. You might be handy and able to fix and repair things. But, and listen, all those things, praise God for that. All those things are great, and they should be stewarded well and used for God's glory and the building up of his body. But those are all natural abilities or acquired skills that unbelievers can have as well. And spiritual gifts are unique to the believer to people that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in. Because these gifts are energized and empowered by the Holy Spirit himself. These gifts are energized and empowered by the Holy Spirit himself. And a lot of these gifts that we're going to talk about even this morning, these are, these are categories that all Christians are expected to be growing in. Uh, Later today, we're going to talk about the gift of mercy. All Christians are called to be merciful as their heavenly father is merciful. But someone with the spiritual gift of mercy possesses almost like a superpower of mercy from the spirit, a power that has been energized by the spirit himself. And so while many of these gifts we talk about, these should be things that we are disciplined in and trying to grow in. There will be some of these that some of us in here almost have like a, a superpower in. It'll just, it'll just flow out of us. It'll be life-giving to us and to others around us because these are gifts that are energized and empowered by the Holy Spirit himself. Third, these gifts are given to help and serve others. These gifts are given to help and serve others. They are not given to elevate, elevate the person or the gift. They are given to glorify the giver of the gift, and they are to be used to help 
and serve others. And this happens in different ways depending on the gift. Some of these gifts, the, the love of God is, is, is shown in very practical ways of service, like the gift of serving. Some of these gifts uh, clarify the, the nature and the action and the purposes of God, like the, the gift of teaching. And some of these gifts demonstrate the power, the presence, and the reality of God, like the gift of prophecy that we'll talk about here in a moment. But they are all given to help and serve others. They are not just for our own benefit. They are not toys for us to be enamored with. They are tools to be used to help and serve others, to build up the body of Christ and to topple the gates of hell. And so in summary, what are, what are the spiritual gifts? I, th- I think Sam Storms has a helpful and a biblically-based definition of spiritual gifts. We'll have this up on the screen uh, for Pastor Sam Storms. He writes, A spiritual gift is a divinely empowered or spiritually energized potential to minister to the body of Christ by communicating the knowledge, power, and love of Jesus. Kessa, you can leave that up there for a little while in case people want to write that down. But I think that's a helpful and a very biblical definition of what a spiritual gift is. Now, as we talk about spiritual gifts, we can certainly acknowledge and we can certainly look around and acknowledge and that, that we see the misuse and the abuse of the gifts, and that can cause us to just want to stay away from them altogether. But, oh, church, let us not miss out on these gracious gifts that God has given to his church. The right response to the misuse and abuse of the gifts is not to avoid them or ignore them, but instead we must seek a proper and biblical use of them. And the Apostle Paul, he's, he's trying to help us here in Romans 12. Uh, first, he's been helping us try to have the right heart as well as the right motivation when we use these gifts. I mean, just before he goes into the gifts, how has he tried to prepare us? What did we talk about last week? He said, don't have an inflated view of yourself. And so last week, we tried to root out pride and we tried to humble ourselves before the Lord because humility is needed for the gifts to be used properly. Humility is needed for the gifts to be used properly. But along with humility, a love for others is needed as well. Look in Romans, just after we talk uh, about the gifts today, look what we're going to look at next week, starting in Romans 9, or sorry, Romans 12, verse 9. He says, let love be genuine. He goes on in verse 10, love one another with a brotherly affection. Humble hearts motivated by a love for others is what is needed to use these gracious gifts properly. And let me say that again. Humble hearts, motivated by a love for others, is what is needed to use these gracious gifts properly. And so if we're going to use them, not only do we need humility, not only do we need a motivation of love for one another, but we're going to need to know what these gifts are as well. And so here are seven that Paul includes to the Romans. Look with me now in Romans 12, verse 6. The first gift that he mentions here is the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy. Now really, all the other ones listed here are pretty self-explanatory, and there is a general agreement amongst Christians as to what these gifts are and how they should be used in the church today. 
But the gift of prophecy is the one that Christians have differed on, and therefore the one we'll spend the most time on this morning. So let me first say that I do believe, and the elders here believe, that the gift of prophecy is still given to some believers in the church today. But, but, the gift of prophecy is not the same as holding the office of Old Testament prophet or New Testament apostle. Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles had been given a special authoritative power to speak on God's behalf and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, write the inspired word of God, which we hold in our hands today. I do not believe that those offices still continue into today, and therefore I do not think that anyone now should be calling themselves a prophet or an apostle. The authority and the office of Old Testament prophet and New Testament apostle is not what Paul is talking about when he speaks about the spiritual gift of prophecy in the church. So what is, what is the gift of prophecy? Well, Wayne, Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology, he says that prophecy is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. But Paul, but Paul tells us that those who have this gift do not have the same authority or infallibility as an Old Testament prophet or a New Testament apostle. And we know that because he tells the church to test these prophecies. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, he says, Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. So someone who has the gift of prophecy can never say, thus saith the Lord, and then start speaking. If anyone says, thus saith the Lord, and does not follow that with reading directly from God's word, please run. Please run. That's not how the gift of prophecy works. When the apostles spoke, it was, you need to, you must believe and obey this, trust and obey, there is no other way. But when someone in the church who is gifted with the gift of prophecy brings a human report of something God has impressed upon them, either through the study of the word or in prayer, it needs to be tested. It needs to be tested. And it needs to submit to the authority of Scripture. And therefore, the gift of teaching God's word should carry much more weight and authority than the gift of prophecy. The gift of teaching God's word carries much more weight and authority than the gift of prophecy. But let me, let me though, give you some examples of what I believe the gift of prophecy looks like in the church today. First example would be, I, I do think many times this gift is put into use by pastors who have this gift when they are preaching. In the preaching of the word, pastors are, are a lot of the time mainly using the spiritual gift of teaching, but then there are times in our prep or in the Sunday morning where the Lord impresses upon us something that our people need to hear in that moment. Yes, this is what God's word says, this is what it means, that's the gift of teaching, but then here is a word for Franklin City Church. Here is a word that someone in the congregation needs to hear right now. 
And sometimes this can even happen in a more extraordinary way. Charles Spurgeon, who no one would ever accuse as being someone trying to to make a spectacle with the gifts of the Spirit, even with him, there are a number of reports about how God revealed something to him while he was preaching that he spoke and that brought people to faith in Christ. There is one man's report. He said, in the middle of a sermon, in his first time visiting Spurgeon's church, right? New, new guest, new, new, new person, first time here. Mr. Spurgeon looked at me as if he knew me. In his sermon, he pointed to me <laughs> and told the congregation that I was a shoemaker and that I kept my shop open on Sundays. <laughs> and I did, sir. I should not have minded that, but he also said that I took nine pence the Sunday before and that there was four pence profit out of it. I did take nine pence that day, and four pence was just the profit, but how should he know that? I could not tell. Then it struck me that it was God who had spoken to my soul through him. So I closed my shop up the next Sunday. At first, I was afraid to go again to hear him, lest he should tell the people more about me. But afterwards I went, and the Lord met with me and saved my soul. In my life, maybe a little bit less dramatic example of this was a friend asked me as a, as a birthday gift to him to take an extended amount of time to pray for him. Never had that request before, but I didn't really want to buy him anything, and so it sounded like a fine deal. And so I went out and I spent really two to, two to three hours just praying for my friend, praying for him, praying through all aspects of his life and his family, praying for him. And in that time, the Lord impressed upon my mind three words that I knew I otherwise would not have been thinking. This wasn't something I went into the prayer session having on my mind. And so at the end of it, I went to him and said, Okay, I I prayed. Uh, This might sound a little weird, but I think I have a word for you. Now, I could be wrong. And if you think you have the gift of prophecy, you you should probably, uh, and you think you have a word for somebody, um, listen, you are not a prophet. You are not an apostle. You probably need to start with, I could be wrong about this. Humility. You remember last week, humility. I could be wrong about this. Please test this with Scripture. Please take this to the Lord in prayer. If it's of the Lord, praise God. If it's of me, please forget it. And I said these three words that the Lord had impressed upon my mind, and upon hearing these words, he said, oh, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. The Lord's been, like, working on me in that as well. And the Lord used that as a way to affirm and confirm what what the Lord was already trying to teach him, and and his faith was strengthened through that. And so that's what I believe the gift of prophecy looks like in the church today. It doesn't look like someone predicting the day and the hour Christ will return in order to sell you books. It doesn't carry the authority or the infallibility of the Old Testament prophets or New Testament apostles. But this is still a gift that God graciously gives to some in his church. And it needs to be used humbly and motivated by a love for God and others as a tool and not a toy for the building up of the body of Christ. The next gift that Paul mentions in Romans 12 is the gift of serving. The gift of serving. This is also sometimes called the gift of helps. 
the gift of helps. When this gift is given, people are empowered to meet the needs of others through very practical service. And this is such a needed gift in the church. When people who are gifted in this way step up and use this gift and serve, it inspires the rest of us to serve in greater ways as well. As well as it frees up some of us even more to get after it in prayer and the ministry of the word that God has called us to. This is possibly a gift you have if you love to serve behind the scenes. If you notice that things need to be done before others do and you joyfully step in without anyone even having to ask you to step in. If you almost just instinctively are looking for ways to help. And if it is life-giving to you to serve in ways that others don't really want to serve in, this might be one of your gifts. And this is oftentimes how you can discern if you do have a spiritual gift. I mean, most of us need to develop the discipline of serving. We have to talk ourselves into it and set our minds to it and be disciplined to serve. But those of you with this gift, yes, you still might get physically tired afterwards, but your soul is recharged after serving. It's life-giving to you. You don't have to be even encouraged by others to serve. You're the ones that we kind of have to hold back so that others can serve as well. Do you possibly have the gift of serving? The next gift that Paul mentions in Romans 12 is the gift of teaching. Now, there are people who have a natural ability or an acquired skill of teaching, and they might be great at teaching math or piano, but the spiritual gift of teaching is someone who has a spirit-empowered ability to explain Scripture and apply it to people's lives. You might have this gift of teaching God's Word if, if, if after teaching God's Word, um, it, it's something that, that was life-giving to you. You enjoyed it. It, it. it filled up your heart and your soul to prepare and to teach God's Word. You might have this gift if, if people who have sat under your teaching um, um, have, have shared that there's been fruit in their lives from your teaching, that they've understood God's Word a little bit better and understood it a little bit more clearer in how to apply it to themselves. Now, the gift of teaching, it, it's still a gift that needs to be developed and you need to grow in. And, 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 and people who teach the Bible, you, you start very, very, very roughly and, and you have to learn and grow in those skills. But for some, this gift of teaching, it just, it, it does start to come naturally. And as you see the gift of teaching in others, you should encourage that in them. Give them opportunities to continue to grow in that and develop it. This might be a gift of yours if you love learning and if you love sitting under good teaching yourself because good teachers should be teachable. Be wary of a teacher who is not teachable and open to reason and who doesn't love to learn. For if you like to teach but you don't love to learn, it could just be you are one who likes to hear yourself speak. Oh, but if you are gifted in this way, we need you to develop this gift and cultivate this gift but it is also a task that comes with a warning from God's word that I feel I must share with you as well. From James 3, verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Kind of knocks the wind out of you when you read that one. 
The next gift Paul mentions in Romans 12 is the gift of exhortation, also called the gift of encouragement. This gift is used when, peop- when a person has the supernatural ability to come alongside someone to either comfort them, encourage them, or gently rebuke them. This is the gift of exhortation. When someone has this superpower ability to come alongside someone to comfort them, to encourage them, or to gently rebuke them. Someone once said that exhortation is like mercy with a kick. You feel loved, but you also feel like your kidneys just got punched. You don't know what happened. And people with this gift, they have the superpower to speak biblical truth into the specific details of people's lives. They see it. They see the word they need to hear, and they are gifted to be able to just share this word with someone for their specific situation and exhort them and encourage them. They can uplift and motivate others as well as challenge and rebuke them in order to bring about spiritual growth and spiritual fruit. Now, sadly, this gift is often underappreciated or even resented in the church. And one of the people in our church who I believe have this gift is, is Pastor Kevin. And I feel like I, I can share this because uh, probably Pastor Kevin has exhorted me more than anyone else in this church thus far. <laughs> and it doesn't always feel great at first. He's gotten better at it. I mean, I got the raw version of Pastor Kevin's exhortation gift a few years ago. He's he's grown in it immensely. He can barely have a conversation with you without weeping all the time. I'm like, Pastor Kevin, I've gotten a little tougher. We've got things to do, man. Just just say what you got to say. But I know from personal experience, even if it hurts at first, if the person with this gift is coming to you humbly, motivated by a love for you, that God will work through this gift to bring about good fruit in your life. People who have this gift are not the same as people who have a critical spirit, and I've been approached by both. And you should hear out, you should listen to anyone who's coming to you, any brother or sister who comes to you with concerns, they're even if they're off on most of it, there typically is at least some truth to it. And so you need to hear any brother or sister that comes to you. You need to not defend yourself in the moment. And then you need to take that to the Lord and to other mature believers to see if what they said is true and if it needs to be received. And I've found from personal experience that the, the, the critical spirit people uh, what they say, you know, o- only some of what they say is maybe true and needs to be received, and the rest can be forgiven and moved on from. But people with the gift of exhortation, much of what they say is true and needs to be received. This doesn't mean that they are always right. I by no means want to set a precedent to say that Pastor Kevin is always right. <laughs> That's not true. But we do need people with this gift, using this gift in the life of the church. And we need people with this gift to feel like they can use it, and we will hear them and allow God to minister to us through them. It's the gift of exhortation.
The next gift that Paul mentions in Romans 12 is the gift of giving. The gift of giving. Now, all Christians are called to be stewards of their resources and give, and we're going to preach on giving later in February. But there are some Christians who have the spiritual gift of giving. And these are believers who have a spirit-empowered ability and faith to give and to give even beyond their means to give. These people are always asking the question, how much more can I give away? And Paul encourages those with this gift. He says, the one who contributes to give, he says, give in generosity, which is a word really getting at the idea of giving for the sake of simply being generous. Or you could say they give with no strings attached. They give with no strings attached. They're not trying to get anything from the church or from the person that they give to, no strings attached. They just, for the joy of giving, want to give. And you might have this gift if you love to meet someone's financial needs without them ever knowing it was you. I've had that happen a handful of times in the life of church. People have heard of different needs and have given anonymously and met one another's needs. We have many people here who are blessed with this gift, who love to hear about needs and love, just enjoy giving money to meet those needs. The next gift that Paul mentions in Romans 12 is the gift of leadership, the gift of leadership. The gift of leadership is the gift of having, uh, is being able to have the ability to give a vision to a group of people and help lead them there. This is all about seeing and knowing the what and the where. This is the supernatural ability to see what we need to change and where we need to go. That's the gift of leadership. Now, the gift of leadership, in order to be really effective, will hopefully have someone alongside them with the gift of administration, which Paul mentions to the Corinthians about that gift. The gift of administration, these people are gifted in knowing the how to get someone where they need to go. They can work in the details to help get people to go where they need to go and change where they need to change. And so the gift of leadership with the gift of administration alongside it, oh, it's such a beautiful thing, church, to be able to see what we need to change, where we need to go, and how we need to get there. And Paul says that those who lead with this gift, they should lead with zeal, meaning that they should be diligent in their leadership. They should not become casual or careless in their leadership. The next and the last gift Paul mentions in Romans 12 is the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy. The gift of mercy is this supernatural ability that some believers have to see people who are suffering or in some type of distress and come alongside them to compassionately care for them and alleviate their sufferings. Mercy is a Greek word that means to be patient and compassionate to those who are suffering. To be patient and compassionate to those who are suffering. Now, we're all created to be merciful. And we're all called to be merciful. 
But some of us have, some of you have, I don't have this gift. It's a discipline for me. Some of you have this gift, though, and it's a superpower of mercy. It just comes natural to you. The ability to weep with those who weep, it comes easily to you. You see people suffering, and you patiently and compassionately know how to come alongside them and bear with them in their suffering. And many of you do have this gift, and it helps the rest of us learn to grow in this gift. And you inspire the rest of us to ask the Lord to help us to be more merciful and to follow your lead in this. The gift of mercy is such a great gift that God has given to his church. And so that's a, that's a quick overview of the seven gifts that Paul mentions here in Romans 12. If you go to all those other passages in Corinthians and Ephesians and 1 Peter, you know, some come up with a list of maybe 20 to 30 gifts, depending on how you're going to break it down. And most believe that even that isn't an exhaustive list of the gifts that God gives. But let's now close with how do we discover the gifts we have and how do we use them? Because we have an explicit command in Romans 12, verse 6, that we must use them. I mean, look at Romans 12, verse 6. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. That is a command. And in order to use them to serve one another, we must first know what gifts we have. So how do we discover them? Well, first, we can go to God and we can ask him to show us. We pray, Father, please show me. Show me how you've gifted me. Every believer has a gift. Father, show me the gifts that you've given to me. We can also then go to other mature and wise believers who know us well and will be honest with us. Key point there. And will be honest with us. And we can ask them. What gifts do you, are you maybe seeing in my life? You can then start using these gifts that you think you might have and get feedback from your brothers and sisters and pastors along the way. Sometimes it takes just stepping out in faith into different opportunities and using the gifts that you think you might have and seeing if it really is a gift. You might find if you step out and Start serving in a way that you think you might have a gift. You might find that it now feels like the wind is against you. Or you might find that as you step into certain situations and certain serving opportunities, that, man, now it just feels like the wind is in your sails. In our church context, city groups are great opportunities to discover the gifts God has given you and to use them to help and serve others. And in order for city groups to work, you've got to be present, you've got to be patient, because community takes time to build, and you've got to come ready to use your gifts. We all have different gifts that need to be used for the building up of the body of Christ, and there are so many different opportunities that that happens in those city group times. We talk often about the Sunday morning gathering. We, we believe this is important and a lot of good things are happening, but there's only a few of us that are really using our gifts in these Sunday morning times. But, oh, we want to unlock and use, even give more opportunities throughout the week. 
primarily through our city groups, for you to discover what gifts God has given you, for you to cultivate those gifts, and for you to be blessed by the gifts that God has given one another. But here's the thing. Here, there are a couple of things that slow us down in using our gifts. So I want to give a, just a little warning before we close here. Two things that will slow us down in using our gifts, and the two words start with the letter J, jealousy and judging. Jealousy and judging. Jealousy when we see the gifts other ha- others have and want them instead of using what God has given us. That can slow us down and distract us from actually using the gifts that God has given us. But a similar thing happens when we judge others for not having the gifts that God has given us. You waste all your time being frustrated with others, trying to compel others to do what God has gifted you to do. And so if one of these gifts or some of the gifts really resonate with you and you go and you look through the other uh, passages of Scripture and you find where you have been gifted, listen, how you've been, how you've been gifted, it should direct what you should do. It does not mean that that is what your brother or sister sitting next to you should do. You see, sometimes we get distracted from using our gifts because we're so frustrated that others don't have our same gifts. And we waste our time trying to get them fired up and doing what we are supposed to be doing instead of encouraging them in their gifts and using our own. And this is a really sad thing, as we see in just in the life of the church and people going to different churches. I mean, one of the things that we have here is we have people all with similar gifts wanting to go be with other people who have similar gifts, right? So depending on what denomination and whatnot, you're going to be attracted to places where people are gifted in the same way that you are gifted and miss out on all the different varieties of gifts that God has given to his church. And so some churches and denominations, they're really strong in this gift. Some are really strong in this gift. Some are really strong in this gift. But my challenge for you is, what if as you look around here and you notice that something is lacking, there's a big area that's not being met, and you're getting frustrated as to why no one is stepping up and and leading in this sort of way, maybe consider if if you are the person (laughs) Maybe consider if that is actually how God has gifted you and that we all need to be using our gifts in different ways for the glory of God and the building up of the body of Christ. And we should not just be concerned about just being around people who are gifted in the same way we are gifted. An example of this in the life of our church uh, happens sometimes in our elder meetings. Um, A quick summary of of maybe some of the elder meetings over the last year would be uh, me really coming into the the meeting saying, guys, we got to have more teaching you got to give me more opportunities to teach. I even proposed at one point, let's cancel city groups, call everyone back, and let me keep preaching. I need to teach. I need to be doing this. Pastor Kevin comes in. He's like, we got to be more one-on-one with people in their house. We need to bring the word to their specific situation. This is what we need to do. Pastor Gary's like, we got to be showing mercy. we got to be serving people, sharing the gospel. we got to get out there, guys. What are you doing in here? And you can look at that and be frustrated by everyone kind of having different passions and leanings. Or you can look to the Lord and say, man, praise God for the variety of gifts he's given. 
Let us not be frustrated by one another. Let's empower one another to serve and lead and and, and go where God has gifted us to go. We need different gifts here, church. We do not want a church of just all people who look and act and feel the same way about everything and are gifted in the exact same way of everything. We need a variety of gifts for the good of the body here. These are gracious gifts from God that he has given to us, church. In the Chronicles of Narnia, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a chapter called The Spell Begins to Break. The spell begins to break. And it's when the beavers are taking Peter and Susan and Lucy to meet Aslan. And in Narnia, it's been winter for a long time, for so, so long, but never Christmas. That's the worst. Winter forever, but never Christmas. But then what happens, as the children are on their way to meet Aslan, Father Christmas shows up. For the spell has begun to break in Narnia. And what does Father Christmas do? He gives gifts to the children. Different gifts to each child, which they will need to use in their battle with the witch. And through using their gifts alongside Aslan, the witch will be defeated. And Father Christmas presents the gifts to the children. He explains to them that these are tools, not toys. And he gives Peter a shield and a sword. And to Susan, a a quiver full of arrows and an ivory horn. And to Lucy, a little bottle of juice that will, will restore anyone back to health. He says, Merry Christmas and long live the true king. Church, when Christ came, lived, died, and was raised back to life. He ushered in a new creation, a new age, and already not yet kingdom. The enemy's spell has been broken, and God has now given us gracious gifts that are tools and not toys for the building up of the body of Christ, which will soon crush Satan and the gates of hell under their feet. And so may we not become jealous of the gifts God has given others, and may we not judge others for not having the gifts God has given to us. And instead, let us humbly and motivated by a love for one another, use them for his glory and the building up of the body of Christ. Church, what gifts has God sovereignly and graciously given you? Get your gifts out and get them ready And long live the true king. Let's pray.